Welcome to On The Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world. I'm your host, Leanne White, and today I am joined by Paul Hemming from Reforma, which is a global organization committed to developing global ministry outcomes. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Paul, I'd love to get to know you just a little better. Uh, We talked a little bit before we started the call, but I'd just love to continue that conversation a little bit. Could you start by sharing with us where you are located, where you're talking to us from today? Yeah, I'm sure your listeners will quickly pick up that my accent is a little bit foreign. That is because I'm from South Africa, so I have lived all my life in South Africa and uh, currently reside in a small coastal town called Jeffreys Bay, which most uh, of your listeners probably have never heard of, but it is known as one of the surfing capitals of the world. So people who are into surfing may have heard of Jeffreys Bay. Okay, that's very cool. Well, that is not me. So I have, I'm like most of the people, I've never heard of Jeffreys Bay because I'm not a surfer, but that's a great, great connection for people that are. So Paul, you're with Reforma, and Reforma's mission is similar to the ministry of 21C International, since we're both focused on training global church leaders. And we've talked before on this podcast about the need for pastor training. So can I just would love to get your perspective on that need, what the true need is for training pastors in the majority world, as I think you call it, or we sometimes refer to it as the global south. Leanne, I would say it's more than a need. It is a crisis that the church is facing. Uh, I saw on your podcast that you had Dr. Todd Johnson, I think in the first Mm -hmm. episode of the series, from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. And, of course, he did the research that showed that only about 5% of pastors around the world are formally trained and qualified. So the remaining 95% are not. And out of those, the stories that I have heard and statistics that I've heard suggest that it's around about 75% of those pastors have had no training at all. So it's the majority of pastors around the world who are either undertrained or untrained. Uh, a lot of the others are getting some good training, although it's non-formal, but the majority are still just totally lacking training. And uh, this is causing all sorts of malpractices in the church. We see it in the news even here in South Africa of stories of pastors abusing their spiritual authority in the church, Um, terrible practices that are happening, false teachings and heresies. And these pastors who are self-appointed and give themselves the titles of super apostle and chief apostle and those kinds of things. I'm sure you've come across them. And the sad reality is that they are in it largely for their own benefit. And they do that at the expense of the flock, the the people in the church. Often this goes hand in hand with the prosperity gospel. And so they are taking advantage of people who are needing to be fed and cared for and led by a shepherd pastor who rather is using them for his own benefits. And, and this is a, a terrible problem that the church is facing 
certainly here in Africa, but I think around much of the world. No, I would agree that we're hearing those kinds of stories too, even sometimes from the people in those countries themselves. They will say, you know, I supervise 40 pastors and they are biblically illiterate, or they recognize themselves. I recognize I need training. I don't have the training I need. Can you help? Can you train me? So it is definitely a need. And and I do even appreciate your comment that it's a crisis because it almost seems at this point in time insurmountable. How can we, how can we catch up, right? How can we begin to catch up with the, with the amount of pastors that still need training? And I just, before we maybe talk about that a little bit and, and maybe think about ways that different organizations are trying to help catch up with the need, what do you see as the hindrances to pastors receiving the training that they need. You did mention that some of them, it's the, it's maybe they're going into pastoring for the wrong motive. And so they're not even really seeking to be trained, but for the ones that are in it for the right reasons, for the ones that truly love the Lord and just want to serve him and serve the church, what are some of the things that prevent them from being trained? Yeah. Just before I answer that, let me say to qualify my previous statements, that uh, I'm not suggesting that that is the majority of pastors who are looking to you know, look after their own interests and not the church. I think the majority, it would seem to me, are genuine. Uh, they have a call of God on their lives. They want to lead their people and teach the word well, but they just don't know how to. They haven't been equipped. And you're right that there is a real challenge to them getting that training and equipping. So I think traditionally, theological education has been on the formal side, and that would be going off to a seminary or a Bible school for three or four years, and that is just totally out of reach for the average pastor in the global south or the majority world. They can't afford it financially. They can't afford to be away from home because most of the times these pastors are doing bivocational ministry. So they have some other job that they're doing at the same time. They can't leave their job. They can't leave their family and their community that they are serving. Um, most of these people needing the training are already in the position serving as a pastor in the pulpit. So they need the training where they are and it needs to be accessible and affordable uh, there's also often a language barrier. It needs, uh, we, often we see these training organizations are bringing really good training material from the West, but that doesn't always translate well, not only in terms of the language, but the culture, the learning style. And so there needs to be a contextual adaptability to the material as well. And even the style in which the training is done needs to be in a more contextualized style. Maybe it's sitting under a tree, <laughs> yeah. telling stories from the Bible, uh, which is very different to what one from the West would think of. Yes, yes, absolutely. I actually, you just made me think of a conversation I just had with a pastor uh, when we were in Uganda recently, and he he made the comment that there was some really good seminaries in Uganda, including one pretty close to where he lived. But he he made this comment that the issue is 
all of the books and all of the instruction is done in English. And for some pastors, that's just a step above their ability to comprehend. Certainly to read in English would be a challenge for many of them. And so at that point in time, that good formal training becomes completely inaccessible to those pastors. Even though there's something literally really kind of in their backyard, it's still not accessible to them because of that language barrier. And and even as you said, the contextualization, uh, that is definitely a, a challenge even for our ministry to think about how to make things, you know, think make sense in our brains, in our Western minds. And then we, you know, we start talking to people from other from other cultures and realize, oh, okay, we have a little bit of work to do here to make this make more sense in their context, which is just, I guess, maybe the joy of the challenge. It's not easy, but it's certainly worthwhile. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about Reforma's entry into this sphere of ministry. What what is the heartbeat behind? I made the comment already that Reform is committed to developing global ministry outcomes. You are focused on non-formal training for pastors, uh, even some informal training, I think. But how did that come about? Yeah, that's a great uh, couple of questions there. So let me start with how Reforma came about. And um, I just had the joy of meeting your husband, Steve, at the GPRO Congress in Panama recently. And it was actually at the first GPRO Congress in Bangkok, Thailand, 2016, that Dr. Ramesh Richard presented the research done by Dr. Todd Johnson, uh, saying that only 5% of pastors around the world are formally trained and qualified. And one of the people who was there was a man by the name of Dr. Manfred Cole. And Manfred Cole, uh, if we can just share a little bit about him. He's uh, quite an amazing person. He has personally visited more seminaries and Bible schools around the world than anyone else in history that we know of, 495 to be precise. And he did that largely when he was serving with Overseas Council, which is a, an organization that supports theological education in the majority world. And so he just did an immense amount of work going around visiting and trying to support and strengthen Bible schools and colleges around the, the world, particularly in the global south. Uh, he actually also founded World Vision in Africa and in several mm -hmm. European countries. So he, he's an, a, man, a man with a wealth of experience in theological education, and particularly um, on the ground at a grassroots level. So he was at the GPRO Congress, and he felt burdened by that research that was presented. And he felt that something needed to be done about it. And so he took it upon himself to call together a bunch of his friends, I think it was over 20 of his friends and colleagues working in theological education around the world, he invited them to all come to his house for a weekend in Canada and to discuss this. And to his surprise, all of them came at their own expense hmm. and it started a series of meetings to see what could be done to address this issue. Um, essentially, they answered the question, 
What does a pastor need to be able to know, do, and be? And so it works around those three areas of knowing, doing, and being, or uh, Bible knowledge, ministry skills, and character formation. And in, in answering that, they came up with a list of 35 competencies, 35 things that a pastor should be able to do well. Uh, Reformer was birthed out of that and attached a learning outcome to each of those 35 competencies, which is how we developed the 35 outcomes in the Reformer program. And essentially what Reformer is saying is if somebody can demonstrate their competence in those 35 things. So it's not just about knowing things, it's being able to do them. It's practical and it's biblical. If somebody can demonstrate their competence in those 35 things, then we are confident that they are well equipped for ministry in the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, the World Evangelical Alliance was so impressed with this that they chose to underwrite the Reformer Certificate so we actually don't do training of pastors. Uh, we're not a curriculum provider. Reformer is merely setting a standard for people to use in their training. And any training organization such as 21C, which I must say I've been very impressed with from what I've heard from Steve and looking at your website, I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Or I should say God is doing an amazing work through 21C. Organizations such as yourselves who might already have their own program, material, curriculum can just incorporate the reformer outcomes in their training and assess their students along the way and thereby their students are able to receive this certificate which has the World Evangelical Alliance logo on it as well as reformers and is actually signed by the Secretary General of the WEA, Dr. Bishop Thomas Schumacher, who happens to be on the board of Reformer as well. So essentially what we are trying to do is set a standard for non-formal training. Of course, the formal training is already excellent. It's accredited. We know that that is of a top standard. The problem is in the non-formal sector, the other 95% that are not formally trained, and, and some of them, as I said, are getting really good training. The majority, sadly, are either untrained or undertrained. And so we're just trying to set a standard for non-formal biblical ministry training so that anyone working in that area can use those outcomes and know that they are meeting this global standard that is being set. That's fantastic. So you mentioned that you were recently in Panama, like Steve was, and you guys met there at the GPRO Congress too. We had a chance to talk to Steve about his experience at the Congress, and he mentioned that one of his biggest takeaways from that week was the shared urgency to provide training to the millions of pastors that lack it. Was that something that you sensed as well from the week, or what were some of the highlights for you from that week? Yeah, I did sense that. Um, I would say it was something that I suppose I was already fairly conscious of. Um, I, one of the hats I wear for Reformer is that of collaboration. And so I'm always looking out for people working in this space and seeking collaboration with them. And so I've been hearing that heartbeat a lot of people who really have 
a burden for this, who are involved in this work, who see what's going on, and uh, who see that God is on the move, to use the name of the podcast. Um, and so for me, I think that was already on my mind, and yes, I would affirm that that was there, but for me, perhaps the main takeaway would be the collaboration that happens at a conference like that. And so mm-hmm. as, as you would expect, the conference sessions are excellent. They were, it was well organized and they had broken it up into formal, non-formal and informal and then regions and languages and different ministry focus areas. And so all of that was excellent. But for me, the main takeaway and highlight is probably what happens between the conference sessions, uh, like having a breakfast with your husband and getting to discuss the work that we are involved in. And I think just about every mealtime and coffee break involved some sort of connection like that. And, and there's, there's networking going on, but there's also fellowship. And for me, that is just really uh, encouraging and rich. It is having again just come home from from being out of the country i i just resonate with that statement so much because i i actually told some i told the church in uganda that we were at visiting that it's like a taste of heaven when you go globally right because it's just a reminder that every language and every tongue and every you know all all of all of the people that love jesus are going to be encircling the throne one day praising him. And it's just those experiences are, I think, spiritually wonderful. And then also it's just fun. It's just, frankly, for me, it's just fun to meet other believers in other contexts and and have that, realize that there's more that unites us than divides us, for sure. That, that the things that are the same about us, our love for Christ and our desire to live for him are so much more uniting than the things that are differences about our cultures. Definitely, yeah. I would say that, that sense of unity, of being in Christ, of being on mission, being involved in the same work of training pastors, there's just an immediate connection that takes place and even a bond and sense of unity. Yeah, that's so good. So what other places do you see in this sphere of pastor training that are things that are worth highlighting or talking about. We've we've mentioned that formal training is fantastic. And I would agree that as I've gotten to meet and know some people that do formal training around the world, it's high quality. It's accredited. It's, you know, if if you can achieve at that level, it's fantastic. There's met much in the non-formal world. And then there's also that informal side that we haven't really touched on that more kind of the mentoring and the very, very informal type of training. But as you look at the landscape, as you work at collaborating with organizations that are doing training, what are some of the things that the themes or the, or the direction that you see happening in this sphere? One of the things that comes to mind as you say that, Leanne, is there's a definite drive to try and bridge the gap between formal and non-formal. So I think informal works with both. Informal is always going to be uh, happening, and I don't think it can be programi- programized as much. It's just going to be happening on the job, naturally, through life experience, life-on-life ministry training. But in terms of formal and non-formal, there's a definite move to try and bridge the gap 
between them. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with ASET. ASET is the International Council for Evangelical Theological Education, and they oversee all of the regional accreditation bodies uh, for accrediting seminaries and the like around the world, at least in the evangelical church. They had a conference last year in Turkey, and their theme was, uh, I think it was narrowing the gap between formal and non-formal. And they had a whole year, series of meetings, online meetings, leading up to that in-person conference, which was held in Turkey last November. And so there's been a lot of discussion, and that is definitely continuing to see how formal and non-formal can work more closely together, how they can support each other. And I think that's an exciting development. I don't think it'll be easy because there are quite big differences. Dr. Michael Ortiz, who is the director or CEO of RCET, was actually at the GPRO Congress as well and gave a talk from the formal side, but included in that wanting to flatten the barriers between the different sectors. Now, for me, I think the most effective way of doing this is through what's known as competency-based theological education, or CBTE for short. Um, traditional formal theological education tends to work more through content, and non-formal focuses on competencies. And some of the formal institutions are actually now starting to use a competency-based approach as well, but they are accredited. And so for me, this is uh, an area where I think there's a real potential to be able to get formal and non-formal working more closely together and to raise the bar in the non-formal sector and in pastoral training through that focus on competencies. And, and again, that's effectively the area in which we as reformer are trying to serve because the outcomes relate to competencies. So that's, that's a development in that. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning is what is happening in East Africa. And as you've mentioned, you've just come back from Uganda. And um, I believe that the, this is starting to develop there as well. But we have seen in Rwanda and in Kenya the government's clamping down on churches and pastors and saying that they need to have certain qualifications to be able to register with the government, to register their church. Now, as reformer, we are sympathetic to, to the governments doing that because of the kinds of abuses that are taking place. Um, but, of course, it's not helpful to just have this blanket ruling that nobody can be a pastor or register a church unless they have a bachelor, bachelor's degree in theology or higher, because that is just out of reach of most of these pastors. So when we were in Kisumu, Kenya, earlier this year, uh, doing training, the training that we do is not training of pastors, but the training of the facilitators who are training pastors. When we were there, we had the uh, general secretary of the EAK, that's the Evangelical Alliance of Kenya, Dr. Nelson Makanda, 
with us as a special guest, and, and he gave a presentation, and he was with us for the whole training. And I actually got a video of him making a statement. It's just a short video where he explains what the situation is currently in Kenya. And the way he explains it, uh, the government actually took a step back last year. In May of last year, the EAK negotiated with the government who had had this moratorium on registrations of churches. And they conceded and have allowed registrations of pastors and churches again, but they need to have a recognized qualification or certificate. And there in Kenya, it's not a degree. It needs to be something that is recognized in theology. And so Reformer has actually uh, formally requested that they would recognize the Reformer certificate as being acceptable so that anybody doing training in Kenya could use the Reformer outcomes, have their students get that certificate and be recognized by the government to be able to register. And I think that would be a huge thing. So to anyone listening, I would say pray into this situation. In, in Rwanda, they've actually taken a harder line and when they instituted this in Rwanda, the government closed down 6,000 churches. Dr. Ruben van Rensburg, who's the project director of Reformer, has engaged with the Rwandan Governance Board, who's in charge of this. There's a lady in charge of this by the name of Dr. Katesi. And uh, the General Secretary of the Rwandan Evangelical Alliance had actually reached out to the WEA, who then contacted us and said, can we help in this? And so we've had a series of meetings with them. And Dr. Katesi has actually been very positive about reformers' standards and program. And in one of the meetings, she effectively reprimanded the denominational heads in Rwanda and said, you guys really should have taken this upon yourselves to initiate this. And so at the moment, it is sitting with them to approve of a program that they want to use in their training, and the government is open to that. Um, in, in Rwanda, if I can just finish off on this, there are two levels that the government is looking at. The top level, and this is what has been encapsulated in the bill that they have passed, is that it is for people in a supervisory role, people with supervisory responsibilities. Someone like a bishop who's overseeing other churches under him, that person in Rwanda still requires a bachelor's degree or higher. But for those who are pastors of the churches under that type of person, um, a lower level certificate qualification is acceptable. And so that's what we are hoping there they would recognize the reformer certificate because we know that that would make such a difference to the pastors in those countries. No, it would. And and when you visit East Africa, Rwanda is the is on the minds of of all other pastors in East Africa, what's happened there and the restrictions placed on churches and the church closures and very much the the fear that it's going to reach their country, that that level of of control is going to is going to reach their country. And you're right in some ways the governments see that there are some of those abuses that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. and some of the missteps by 
by untrained pastors who maybe don't even have the right motives. And so I am sympathetic, like you are, to the government's desire to not just allow things to go unchecked and to have their people damaged or harmed by that. But it is definitely a thing that is on the mind of pretty much every pastor in East Africa that you talk about, especially the ones that don't have any higher level of education. Some do. We have a lot of fantastic pastors we work with that have a little bit of Bible college. Some have full degrees, some have two-year degrees, some have something that they feel like would help them get by, but many don't have anything at all. And those ones are are very concerned about what might happen in the future. And so that is definitely something for global believers to pray about. To pray, first of all, that, that organizations like ours and, and all of the organizations that Reforma partners with find ways to bridge that gap, find ways to, to bridge the gap that's lacking in training. But then also that that governments would be sympathetic to a point, I guess, that it, they would allow for some of these non-formal trainings to be, training systems to be recognized so that pastors can keep doing the work that God has called them to. So many of them, they have been called by God to step into these positions. And it would just be tragic if they were not able to continue. So you've talked about the things that are happening with governments around the world. And I just am, I guess I'm just struck by, by how that kind of ratchets up the urgency, the crisis, I guess, in a sense that not only are pastors untrained, but now there's this pressure for them to be trained. So that's kind of like the discouraging parts of the landscape of trust pastor training around the world, globally in the global South and the majority world. But what are some of the encouraging things that you're seeing right now in the global movement to train pastors? For me, it is that word collaboration. There really does seem to be a spirit of collaboration amongst those who are working in this this ministry. Uh, and we, we can't do this. We, we won't achieve the Great Commission through great competition, but through great collaboration. So that is the spirit of the GPRO Congress, people coming from different organizations, different sectors, even of theological education and pastoral training, and the sense of we actually need to work together, that is a big encouragement. Um, I was encouraged even talking with your husband, Steve, there, to hear the approach that 21C is taking in partnering with the local trainers. So many of the organizations that I meet with um, would include Second Timothy 2.2 somewhere in their website, uh, often in the name of their organization even, because of the principle in that verse of entrusting these teachings, the apostolic teachings to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others. And that means it can't just be the West to the rest. There's got to be partnership. There's got to be a handover of these skills, of equipping people, of empowering them, of entrusting the gospel and the Bible and the training to them to teach others because they are better placed to do it. 
They understand their context and their culture and their people and the way of learning in their area. And what I heard from Steve is, is that that is how 21C is working, um, bringing the best that, that they can, but then empowering people to continue with that training and to multiply it. And I think that is one of, that is perhaps the biggest shift in emphasis of this GPRO Congress to the first one, is that the first one was about training pastors, and the second one now was about training trainers of pastors. And so there's a multiplication, and the vision is that is for every pastor to be trained, but also for every pastor be, to be training. The, the way that I think that we can get the job done, because it, it does seem almost insurmountable, is through the local church. We have to work with church-based training. And uh, through collaboration with our various resources and materials and skills and people, uh, with the local church being involved, uh, that is how I can see us managing to get this done. So the burden that the Lord has actually put on my heart is to flip the script or to flip the, the stat. If we say that maybe 80% of pastors around the world are under-trained and 20% are well-trained, the burden the Lord has put in my heart is to, to see that statistic getting flipped. And I know that that is a crazy dream uh, and that there's no ways that, that I can do that, that Reformer can do that, that 21C can even do that. The only way that we get that done is through collaboration and recognizing that God is raising up people in different parts of the church and the world who have a heart for this, recognizing that none of us can do it on our own perhaps is the most empowering thing because we realize we need each other. Absolutely. And I just love that so much that just that reminder that, I mean, the task is great and it does maybe sound crazy that we could flip that statistic around, but God is, God is greater. God is greater than the task at hand for us. And, and by working together, I think, and, and by each organization that's in this sphere of pastor training, being willing to collaborate, being willing to step in even deeper into the waters and and see what God has for them is is the way that we can do it. The way that we can see that Jesus' great commission is completely fulfilled. We've been pretty good at the going and telling and baptizing part of it. It's the discipling and teaching them to obey part. Maybe there's some room for growth in the church worldwide. And so it's an exciting thing to think that that we can be a part of really accomplishing all of the things that Jesus commanded his followers to do uh, when he was getting ready to leave this earth. So, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for this conversation. I'm encouraged, and I have some new things to think about and to pray about, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. So I just want to say thank you again for your time. It's been an, an absolute joy, Leanne. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global South by providing free, informal biblical and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast 
on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world. 